It's been 20 years since 9-11. Today's college freshmen, they weren't even alive then. And with our busy lives and the relentless 24-hour news cycle, we're in danger of letting 9-11 fade away from our cultural memory. We won't let this happen. Iron Light Labs presents the 20 for 20 podcast, 20 heroic stories about 9-11 for the 20th anniversary. I'm Nils Jorgensen. I was a New York City firefighter for almost 22 years until I contracted the rarest form of leukemia from cleaning up Ground Zero and was forced to retire from the job I loved. I'm lucky to be alive. Many of my best friends aren't. But this isn't about me. It's about the heroes of 9-11 and its aftermath who forged good out of evil. Love amidst the taking of 2,977 innocent lives and about an equal number who've died since then from 9-11 related illnesses. Today's story, episode eight of 20. He had such guilt and he just did not understand why he was still here and his friends weren't. Why did he get to live 12 years longer than his friends? That's Karen Pfeiffer, the wife of Ray Pfeiffer, a 9-11 firefighter who, although was spared that day, would become a victim of its aftermath. On that fateful day, Ray was supposed to work, but he made what's called a mutual, the term for swapping shifts, so that he could play golf with some buddies. Everyone he was supposed to work with on that shift died that day, including Steve Mercado, the friend Ray made the mutual with. The guilt haunted Ray, but it also fueled him to take care of other heroes who are still alive and needed help. Today, Ray's wife, Karen, brings us his both heartbreaking and inspiring story. But first, a message about our generous sponsor. And now, let's get back to the story. Karen Pfeiffer's husband, Ray, passed away in 2017, and we'll get to that later. But with him gone, Karen lives with three dogs, who you will occasionally hear throughout the episode. They bring her comfort, which is especially helpful when recounting her beloved husband's story. Ray had joined the fire department in 1987, and I had met him. He was assigned to Engine 40, Ladder 35, Upper West Side of Manhattan. He loved it. He lived to be a fireman. He just loved the guys at the firehouse. They were all good friends. One was a plumber on the side, and, and when we were doing work to our house, they were always here to help us. Our children grew up together. We went to parades, and we would always, they were our family. We were all family. And as a family, on September 11th, 2001, they would suffer a loss unlike any other. It was a beautiful day, beautiful weather, not a cloud in the sky. Ray had left early, and he met the... Uh, other three firefighters, and they I think they drove out east, I don't even remember, but they were playing golf. Ray made a, a mutual with Steve, very good friend. And I was at work, and my kids were in school. I think they were in elementary school still. And when we, well, I was at work and we came on the TV and uh, we all just sat there and looked at the TV like we didn't understand, you're kidding me. And then of course, Pennsylvania and the Pentagon and. We were so scared that another plane was going to come down and just, we didn't know what was going to happen next. So I raced home. Ray called me from the car as he was probably driving 150 miles an hour in my Tahoe. 
So the first thing they did, they grabbed their gear and they ran down there and um, they had just gotten there for the second, the first tower had fallen already and then the, they had just pulled up when the second one was coming down. Our kids were, um, I guess they were around 10 and 11. And that day I was had come home from work. Of course, everybody did and went to pick the kids up, brought them home. And I sat by the window with Ray's father and we were drinking wine just to calm ourselves. And Ray was calling as often as he could to give us updates. And uh, a lot of the widows were calling me to see if I heard anything. Unfortunately, most of them were never found. Uh, it was just a war zone and I'm sure you guys know that. Um, I had gone down the second day and I could not believe what I was looking at. So Ray's whole firehouse was lost. Ray has spent about three to four months searching and rescuing. The first four weeks, he was there 24-7. Then he'd get, come back to the firehouse and he'd sleep, try to sleep. Then they'd be back the next day. I, one day when I was down there and he, he, he was coming back, I guess one of the fire trucks dropped him off and I looked at him and I, I, I just didn't know what I was looking at. I mean, the look on his face, and he was so pale and full of, his head to toe, full of white dust. And I just, I, I said, oh dear God, like I just, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I just didn't know what to do. He needed to sleep and eat. And I couldn't go that much because I had the kids at home. But um, then he became the family liaison. As the FDMY family liaison, Ray kept the families updated on the discovery of their loved one's remains. He also helped them apply for benefits they deserved. Back and forth, back and forth to Long Island, to the city, back and forth. And he still continued to be down there. Um, he was just hoping they'd find something, just something he could tell these families that we, we found something. Now you could, you, you know, you could have a, um, a memorial service or, or you could now have something you can bury at least. But you know what? Most of them weren't found. You know, they just, they, they couldn't find them. So, you know, and it, it destroyed him. It destroyed Ray mentally. He uh, had anxiety and depression and um, couldn't sleep, barely ate. And then he'd eat out of depression and frustration. You know, he got to that point and, you know, which wasn't good for your health. But, um, you know, it did a job on him. It did a job on everybody. He had such guilt, and he just did not understand why he was still here and his friends weren't. All our best friends, Ray's best friends, were killed on that day. Ray was haunted by the loss of every man riding aboard Engine 40 on Ladder 35 that morning. He was all too aware that he would have died if Steve hadn't picked up his shift. Ray never ever, like he, oh, the guilt that he had over that. Steve was a very, very good friend of ours. What's hard for me is when I was down at the firehouse trying to help and the widows, the widow, I hate to call it, say it like that, but they would come in hoping they'd hear something that maybe they found something of their husband. And I, I would feel so uncomfortable, like, oh my God, like, why am I, my husband I still have? And, and these poor girls were crying and, 
like I just felt like an outsider, like I didn't belong with them. And, and so I had the guilt too. Like I just can't believe that I still have Ray. And look at these poor girls. What would I have done, you know? So that was a big part. I had the guilt also. Later on, of course, he saw videos, all these different videos that he'd watch every night. And he saw his whole firehouse, uh, all the guys walking in to the building. I think they were carrying a hose. And I, he always said the look on their face, like he saw the expression on their face, like these guys probably knew that they weren't gonna get out of there. And, um, and, and oh, he just, he had so many videos. I guess he got them all because he worked in headquarters and stuff, but just terrible that he just kept playing things over and over again and, and, and just, you know, he was devastated and, and we all were. I mean, who will ever forget it? And the devastation would continue. In the coming years, tens of thousands of first responders, civilian tradesmen who helped in the aftermath, and others who lived or worked around Ground Zero began getting sick. Well, it was poison. They were all breathing in a toxic poison as they worked down at Ground Zero. And, um, you know, it, it just, a lot of the guys had it right away and a lot of the guys that showed up later, it was, uh, usually you would see at first, you would see the lungs having issues and the coughing and, which Ray did have, Ray had the coughing and all that, the breathing, but he, he started getting sick, real sick, uh, with symptoms in 2009. And during that time he was working and he was getting a lot of pain in his hip and we always brushed it off like, oh, you're getting old or whatever, he's limping. And, and finally I said, you know what, Ray, you better go get that checked. And, uh, and one day he just said, you know what, I really can't walk. So we sent him for x-rays. And sure enough, that's when the doctor saw that his bones were all disintegrating, um, holding on by a hair. Uh, it was the... Um, what, what is it? The uh, the pelvic and the pelvis and the um, hips, and the cancer was ripping through his bones. So then right away they they emergencyed him right into the city, and it all, you know, the journey began then, and that was 2009. We were with so many different hospitals, uh, Presbyterian, so many different hospitals in Manhattan, and um, one of the doctors took out his kidney, and. Back then, there was a few doctors I remember that would come to see him that weren't in his health plan, like they weren't in the network. And we would get these big bills and we're like, what the heck is this? We found out later that he wasn't covered. <laughs> and to this day, I'm still getting a bill from one of the doctors and they're suing me and I am not paying it. So it, it was very frustrating, you know, it was terrible. Like, how could they do this to these people? More with Karen Pfeiffer after the break. Let's return to Karen on Ray's battle with 9-11 cancers. It spread to his femur, so he had his femur replaced twice. The cancer had moved again, and then it moved to his shoulder, so that was another big surgery. He was always in pain, always so much pain because bone cancer is very, very painful. Um, and, and I guess towards the end, it, it you know it, it went to his uh, lungs and then to his uh, brain. 
you know, he was so brave. I mean, he really was. And um, I was just so proud of him the way he, you know, he's like, this is just stage four cancer. It's nothing. And, you know, they let him work for a long time and he had stage four cancer. And who do you know that works a job like that? I mean, he wasn't climbing uh, ladders, but I mean, he was working it with stage four cancer. He ended up having a, um, a, a heart attack while he was working and that was the end of his career. They had told him he's now a liability and, and the heart attack was caused by the, uh, the chemo. And what it does is I guess it destroys your heart muscles and the back wall of your heart. And now he was a liability and he needed to retire. So 2015, Ray was devastated and had to retire. For these last 14 years, it was Ray's job to help FDMY 9-11 survivors and families get the benefits they deserved, which wasn't easy. And not everyone, including my own family, received those benefits because of arbitrary rules of politicians, insurance companies, and many different bureaucracies. Ray's job really wore him down, but it was his calling. He just wanted to help and it devastated him to retire. But his efforts didn't end there. Ray met John Feel, whose story we featured in episode four. John was part of the cleanup at Ground Zero and suffered a horrible injury on the site. Half of his foot got crushed by an 8,000 pound steel beam that his team was trying to remove. He faced hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills that no one would cover for him. This happened to a whole lot of civilians who also helped with the Ground Zero cleanup. So John Fields started the Feel Good Foundation, rallying a team of 9-11 victims to fight for the relief of all people affected by the attacks. Ray Pfeiffer was on that team. Wheelchair bound by his cancer, Ray lobbied Congress to pass legislation to help these all too deserving men and women. He wasn't gonna stop fighting for the guys that needed help and medical care. So started going down to Washington, D.C along with other firemen, correction officers, police. So there were probably about 15 or more of them that would be as a group and walk up and down the halls of the Congress, the Senate, and didn't stop until they got these bills passed. Zadroga was the name of the first bill, and that was going to give the firemen medical care paid for the rest of their lives. The bill passed. So that was the first one, and um, so that, that you know was an amazing accomplishment. But their fight wasn't over. Just 11 days after the attacks, Congress passed legislation to create the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. It was intended to give financial relief to 9-11 victims and their families. But unfortunately, most of the victims of 9-11's aftermath and the Ground Zero cleanup did not qualify. Over the years, John lobbied Congress to reauthorize the fund and update provisions to the law. He first did it with the Zadroga Act in 2010, and then again with Ray's help, reauthorizing and updating Zadroga in 2015. This was huge to the 9-11 community. The law expanded the number of victims the fund took care of, which was good, but created a problem. More claims meant more money, and by 2017, the fund started to run out. Ray, John Feel, and their team of first responders stepped back into the ring, this time with an additional heavyweight at their side. Comedian John Stewart had already been helping 9-11 responders. 
He dedicated a whole show to them in 2010 to tell the story of John Field's team. And then he took it further than most celebrities by joining Ray and John Field on several occasions to personally lobby Congress on behalf of the 9-11 community. Ray was always laughing and said he was the good cop. He was nice to the senators and all the people because he was in his wheelchair going up and down the halls. And uh, John Stewart was the bad cop. He was the mean one. Um, well, you probably know his sense of humor. Karen, it was incredible. The first time I met Ray, I was in contact with the Feel Good Foundation and had gone down to Washington to join them to basically shame these politicians into doing the right thing and sign on to the Droga Bill legislation. And, and upon meeting Ray, it was so funny because he just had this big smile and you would not know that he was so sick and he was in the wheelchair. And what sticks with me is I was in remission from leukemia and throughout the day he would ask me every hour or so, hey brother, you okay? You need anything, you're doing okay. And I'll never forget that. I said, here's a man who's in such a worse condition than I am, but yet he's worried about me. And, and what I'll never forget is that smile. And the Capitol Police were actually sent to arrest us outside of Senator McConnell's office because we were causing what they called the disruption. And the sergeant that responded looked at us. He saw Ray just smiling, and he said on the radio, there's no disruption. These men are being respectful and polite. They're just trying to get the senator to pay attention. And Ray, Ray would shame them with a smile on his face. He, he would not complain about his condition. He would just say, I don't want my family to have to carry these debts, these medical bill debts that I am now incurring for the fight of my life. And I only got to meet him a few times and he left such an impression on my life because I now am covered by that Zadroga bill that if I am to pass, my family will be covered. My medical bills are now covered, whereas in the beginning, I almost lost my house. And Ray's lasting legacy with every responder and every recovery worker is because of him and John Feel and John, and John Stewart and and John's team, his, his army, we are now covered for life. Yeah, and, and Ray was not going anywhere until everybody was okay and everybody was going to be covered and their families didn't have to worry. And that was the main, he wasn't going to stop. He wasn't going to stop. And thank God it passed. I mean, you know, uh, Ray would be with his wheelchair and his pocket he would have all mass cards, and it was of all, and Ray knew everybody. Ray was a Manhattan trustee once, you know, he just knew everybody, the union. And he always, he had, gosh, it must have been 10 inches of mass cards of all the funerals that we went to. And just, you know, he was doing it for the guys. He was just doing it for the guys, and he wasn't going to stop. Yes, I saw, I saw that stack of cards, and he actually pulled it out and showed one of the politicians. And he said, I'm here for these guys and for the future cards that unfortunately need to be printed. And I think that resonated loudly with the politicians who were still sidestepping and hesitating and not willing to get behind it. And, and I remember we, we had to literally shame one congressman who was a former police officer 
and Ray was in the room and another police officer who was in a wheelchair who was quite sick. And up till that point, this congressman who prided himself on saying he was a retired police officer had not signed on to the legislation. And after meeting Ray and Ray taking out that stack of cards and that other police officer saying, hey, let's talk like we're cops, midnight partners in a car. We don't hold back. You have to have our back. How about having our backs? And that congressman literally started to tear up and literally, literally put a note of confidence that he would be on board signing the legislation when it came. And, and I have to say that Ray and that other gentleman, they convinced him at that very moment that these politicians needed to do the right thing. That's right. Do the right thing. That's what Ray, Ray always said. Do the right thing when no one's looking. I can't stress enough that Ray did this all throughout his cancer treatments, taking planes, trains, and buses to Washington, D.C., to lobby Congress from a wheelchair while fighting cancer. Ray eventually succumbed to his illnesses, and he died in 2017. But nearly two years later, Ray smiled from above as John Feal and his team successfully passed legislation to extend the fund and guarantee coverage to the 9-11 community for life. So Ray is on that bill. It's actually, they changed the name of the bill and it's called um, the James Zadroga, Lou Alvarez, and Ray Pfeiffer legislation bill. And um, that was such a proud moment. We could not believe it. So everybody was going to be taken care of and not worried. And, and, and now these poor heroes, these heroes can die in peace, knowing that their family's gonna be taken care of, you know? Because their families were all in trouble. Ray's mission was accomplished, which was a relief to Karen, especially following the time leading up to his death. It wasn't an easy time. I mean, it just, you know, with his parents passing and then watching him like that, and it was just very, very hard on the kids. Terrence had a very hard time. Terrence was EMS then, and um, he just, he had a hard time going upstairs and being with him, and he would, but he just, he, he, Terrence is very sensitive and he just couldn't watch his father like that and uh, so but he didn't stay away but I mean he wasn't like Taylor and I like Taylor and I would just we were there you know I worked every day but Taylor was here and so was one of the firemen were here just taking care of him watching his medicines that he needed um, you know and, and I would go up you know I'm saying go up because he had his own room at that point because he just needed quiet and we had like a hospital bed up there and you know, he had his, all his electronics. Well, I, I can't thank the FDNY enough. I mean, they are family. They'll always be our family. They never let us, I mean, they would call constantly. I'd be hearing from chiefs and captains and, you know, do you need anything? What can we do? And I became very friendly with the, um, with the medical office in, in Heg, I think it was in Brooklyn at Metrotech. And, um, I mean, they would call me like they were my, they were just so, they loved him so much. You know, they, they, they did everything for us. They, like he was so special to them. They did all the paperwork that needed to be done. Like people, like widows will ask me, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. These people, they did it all for me. They just never let us be. They were just so amazing during the whole thing. And I don't know if you saw any parts of his funeral, but um, I've never seen anything like it in my life. 
Um, it was televised. There was so many TV stations. Like you couldn't even believe what you were looking at. How many thousands of people? Like who was he? But he was so adored by so many people. And I mean, you could see why, but it was just amazing, amazing. And John Stewart, we asked him to speak at Ray's funeral and um, he, pulled, he, he was talking about Ray and just saying how he was the good guy with his wheelchair rolling down the halls and, and, and you know, trying to make up for what John Stewart was yelling at them. I'm gonna start with a little story to give you a sense of the Ray that I knew. I last spoke to Ray the Sunday night before he passed. He called me on my cell. I was just hanging out. Hey, Johnny boy. Ray was already in hospice because of the unrelenting pain that he had had to deal with for more than eight years. But his voice was strong and powerful. And I said, Ray, how you doing, man? And without missing a beat, he goes, I can't complain. <laughs> Ray, you can complain. No, it's okay. I'm a lucky guy. And he was. The irony here is Ray would have loved a day like today where people from all over, town, city, the country, pay respect to a man who did right. You just sat in the back. What, I'm Lincoln die? What's going on around here? And when you say, Ray, it's for you, he'd say, I'm just a kid from Levittown. It's almost like he didn't know how special he was, but he was. I first met him two years prior in September. We went down to Washington to lobby for the Zadroga bill. John Field put the little trip together. He said, John, I'm going to partner you up with Ray Pfeiffer, stage four cancer. You guys are going to go around senator's office to senator's office. So that's what we did. And at every office, each state would lay out in a little basket a signature food dish from their state. And Ray would just critique. We go to Montana. There's a little elk jerky. Ray takes a bite. Meh. It tastes a lot like moose. It's not that good. We go to Pennsylvania, it's just a basket of Hershey bars. Ray just sat there, what is this, Halloween? This is it? We go to Kentucky, and it's just nuts. They got a basket of nuts. Ray just sat there, determined to get them to admit it's bourbon. Bourbon is what Kentucky is known for, and he just wants two fingers, just two fingers. We played good cop, bad cop that day. I know you can probably imagine who was the good cop. I was the bad cop because I couldn't believe the disrespect that was being shown to this man and to the other heroes of 9-11. We would go office to office to senators who would tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11. And yet here was this man suffering from a stage four cancer because of that day. And they wouldn't look him in the eye. They wouldn't be in the office. And I was losing my mind. But Ray just sat resolute. 
he knew that in this situation, he was in the right. And he didn't uh, have to show histrionics. He didn't have to yell. He didn't have to scream. He sat, his body becoming as big as a boulder. And people wouldn't get by until they looked him in the eye. And it was magic. Hell, he, he chased Senator from Ohio. We're all in the basement of the Senate building getting thrown out. And Ray spots a senator from Ohio, and he's, I don't know if this is from his experience with the fire riders, but he set that wheelchair into a gear that I've never seen before. <laughs> it was like a thing was a funny car. It just took off. And he corners this guy from Ohio, and he just sits there, and the guy's trying to tell him, well, you know, financially, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy, and Ray would say, so tell me about the numbers. Well, <laughs> 15 minutes. The guy signed on to the 9-11 bill. 15 minutes with Ray. We didn't talk politics much. I don't know why. <laughs> I assume he was like a Bernie bro. I don't know. I don't know where he got his strength from, but I think I can see it now. It was the people he loved and the people who loved him. Make no mistake, Ray Pfeiffer died in the line of duty because of illness in the terrible terrorist attacks of 9-11. But more importantly, Ray Pfeiffer lived in the line of duty. Because it wasn't about him, it was about service to others, always. Always do the right thing. I remember at the end of our lobbying efforts down in D.C., I, I, was, I felt beaten. I was disgusted by what I had witnessed and what had been done. And all I was getting was business cards. I said to Ray, if I get another business card, I'm going to scream. I'm going to lose my mind. Ray said, I'm okay. I said, how, Ray? How, how can you maintain your cool in all this? He patted his chest. And he reached in. And he pulled out prayer cards. Hundreds. He said, I got all the cards I need. And now in, I got one. And it's going to teach me how to do it. Thank you. So Taylor has uh, just got engaged, actually, and now she'll be walking down the aisle without her father. So that's going to be a tough one. Um, you know, Taylor and I just took care of right you know, we, it was me and Taylor, like we just, and she was amazing. She was like a nurse, but, um, what was I going to say? But yeah, so she's getting married. That's going to be tough. And I, um, I feel like I'm depressed a lot. I feel like I never stopped thinking about him. I never stopped thinking of that day of what everybody went through. Um, 
Yeah, so I work full time. It gets me out of bed. I get dressed. I get to be with people so I can um, distract myself. Um, you know, I'm not interested in dating. I know a lot of people, you know, have gone on with that. And I just have no desire. I mean, I have my three dogs, and but they moved out on me, my kids. <laughs> so it's just me and my three babies. And to close, here's Karen's final thoughts on the kind of man her husband was. Any stranger, somebody fixing a tire, I mean, he would pull over and he, he just couldn't do enough for people. And I, 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 I never seen anything like it in my life until I met him, like, wow, this guy wants to help everybody. He's, you know, that's amazing. The end, when he was still getting phone calls it, it, with these guys, Ray, can you help me? I just don't know what to do. What do I do? What papers do I file? How do I go for disability? You know, I'm sick now. I've got cancer. Should I fill out that form? Like, it's just, it was call after call. And he's on there like, like he was the mayor, you know? And I know that they would ask him how he's feeling. He's like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. All good. It's just stage, you know, stage five. How about you? How's your mother? How's your, you know, how's your wife feeling? And people will come up to me and say, this guy's crazy. He's asking me how I'm doing. What's the matter with him? You know, and I said, because he just, he didn't never felt sorry for himself, you know? He just, you know, he felt that, you know, he did what he needed to do to help his brothers and, uh, and their families. He couldn't do enough for people. And, you know, he, like I said, he would say hello to everybody and, and people would look at him and smile and, you know, he just really had that personality that you just can't believe how amazing he was. Um, and it all rubbed off on, on me and the kids. Um, you know, sometimes we used to, you know, I was a little backwards and nervous to be around people. And he just, you know, he gave us that confidence that we needed. And I picture him up in heaven and I, I this is in my mind and I see him at the gates and I see him standing next to God and welcome because Ray was like that. He just had to always get involved in everything. But and he's welcoming one by one as the heroes come in. And a big thank you to Karen for sharing her story. Be sure to check out the foundation named in her husband's honor, the Ray Pfeiffer Foundation, which is dedicated to assisting September 11th first responders with medical needs not covered by insurance. They do great work, and you can support them at the RayPfeifferFoundation.com. And to learn more about this podcast, go to 20for20podcast.com. New episodes drop every Thursday. And we hope you can tune in for the next. And to all of those who have served our great country in one way or another, from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you and please stay safe. And now, before we close, a special message from a dear friend of mine. Hi, this is actor Robert John Burke. I've been fortunate to be a part of projects like Tombstone, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, Gossip Girl, Rescue Me. But I've been even more fortunate to become friends with incredible first responders like your host, Nils Jorgensen. Folks who are willing to sacrifice every single one of their tomorrows so that we can have our today, as Nils so powerfully says. I lost a lot of my friends on 9-11, including my best friend. I felt like I had to pick up the flag for them. So I became a volunteer firefighter and I have been ever since. It's why I'm so grateful you're listening to the 20 for 20 podcast. I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review it, and share it with five friends because these stories are so important. Thanks for listening.